uh, we've been uh, doing this series uh, where we're trying to figure out how we can uh, know God and be known by God, but uh, trying to understand God, like God's ways and uh, who God is, uh, as opposed to thinking about, like, what are my needs and uh, how can God help me with that? But starting off with how do we know God? So in the past few sermons, we've done one that really did well, uh, talking about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And uh, then I was preaching on uh, God's wisdom and our knowledge, which is limited and God's wisdom is, is infinite. And then uh, preaching on uh, knowing the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity. What is that? Uh, how, to, how can we know the Holy Spirit and how can we experience the Holy Spirit? And then last week, uh, Jeff was talking about the majesty of God. You know, with the idea here that when we can see God and, and understand God for who God is, uh, it's uh, really an, an eye-opening experience versus just limiting God to who we think He is or even worse, uh, designing God into our own image and uh, deciding, well, if God's not like the way we want Him to be, then I'm checking out because we decided how God should act and behave. And, and yet, when we look at the way God wants to act and behave, uh, it's really um, fascinating. Uh, not only fascinating, it, it's uh, like awe-inspiring because God is just so much bigger and, and better than, than we are. Today I want to talk about God's purposes in our troubles. God's purposes in our troubles. Uh, because we wrestle with the fact that we do go through troubles, and uh, we wrestle with the fact that God is majestic and awesome. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. And uh, last week, uh, Helen uh, Bournet really just uh, totally blessed us and surprised us uh, in a sense, encapsulating that. I mean, if you were here for the service last week, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here last week, Helen came up in a walker and uh, essentially was saying, I want to tell you how good God is. And even though I've just had a stroke, uh, this is how God was in my situation and in my circumstance. I mean, thank you, Helen. That was brave. Uh, uh, also, no, Helen is not one for public speaking, you know, so it was just really a powerful moment. And, uh, uh, but she was hitting a truth there of saying, okay, I'm, I'm still recovering from a stroke, and I don't like this, but I can also testify about God's love and about God's goodness. And that overarches my difficulties. I mean, that, that captures it. Uh, it's just a, a, a powerful thing. You know, uh, when you look back on your life, uh, particularly when I look back at when I was a teenager, uh, yeah, you know, your teenage years, and it's not just your teenage years, but it seems like it, it goes through your early 20s. I, I don't know what's up with that, but that's a time in your life where a lot of us just did a lot of stupid things. I mean, I, I don't know how else, to, how else to put it. I mean, you're like, you know, uh, but, but, here's the, but here's the big moment, here's the big point that I'm trying to make. When you look back on that time, all the stupid things you did, you don't like go back and think, that was so great. You know, I wish I did more stupid things. <laughs> you know, those idiots that I hang out with and really led me down a bad path. I mean, I just regret all the good times we had with them. I wish I hung out with those idiots and those losers some more. It would have just been, 
You just don't do that. You know, uh, I mean, at best, you might look back at your teenage years and think, wow, you know, I, I actually did something that was loving, it was kind, you know, I helped somebody out, or, you know, I did something that was good, and you might feel good about that. That would be, that would be a good thing. But we just don't look back at the mistakes we made and say, I just wish I did more of that. We just don't. Uh, yet, we, 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 we live, especially, I don't know, it's accentuated as a teenager. We don't lose it for the rest of our lives. But, but what gets accentuated is a chronic need to be loved. I mean, to be accepted by others. To have good friends. Uh, and, and often there's a, uh, we're in a tension here because we know God loves us. And uh, we know God is good, but God just seems like kind of distant. You know, whereas my friends, even my bad friends, you know, they like real close. And what they're doing just seems to be like fun. And if it's not fun, at least I'm accepted. I mean, you remember those days? I mean, you, you might still be in those days. I'm, I'm, I'm 65. I'm still battling with that. But somehow it gets accentuated when you're a teenager. You're just in this chronic struggle. Now, embarrassingly... Uh, I want to share one of my moments. I, I, I didn't take one of the worst moments, just like one that I think I could share in church, you know. Just <laughs> uh, There was a time period where there were a bunch of losers that looked like they were having a whole lot of fun, and I thought, well, if I joined that crowd, uh, I could also have a whole bunch of fun. I mean, they were doing things and going places and just sounded great. So I was like, I became part of that crowd. This is one of my low times in my life. I'm not looking back at this with any level of, of pride. But uh, in South Africa, there's a racetrack called Kyle Army. And every now and then, they'd have Formula One racing. You know, this event goes all around the world. It was like a big deal. And so uh, my friends, uh, bad friends, uh, let me just reiterate if I didn't say that already, uh, said to me, hey, I've got a proposition for you. This is the greatest thing. How would you like to go to the race? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I'd like to go to the race. I mean, it's like somebody saying, hey, how'd you like to go to the Super Bowl? I've got a ticket for you. I've got it all covered. I mean, like, what's it to lose in this thing? And he said, it gets better than this. He said, we are actually fire marshals. And we have a place on the inside of the track at the beginning of the main straight. And you can come with us and you can stand right there, right next to the track and be part of us. I'm like, there's no downside to this. This is awesome. I knew this crazy bunch were worth hanging around with. So we get near the racetrack, and of course, the entrance is packed up. The, the traffic's backed up for like miles. At this point, they stop, and he says, okay, uh, Rob, you need to get in the trunk. I'm like, what? Oh, we don't have a ticket for you. The only way you're going to get in is by getting in the trunk. And I'm like, oh, now what do I do? I mean, you know, I'm in the middle of nowhere. What am I going to do, protest? So, you know, being the the guy, I get in the trunk, and I sit in the trunk and go in the trunk for like, I don't know, like an hour, you know, get through the security check, they all show their badges, and then he has the worst part, they take, he takes his car, and he backs it up on the inside of the, the main straight, and there's this massive grandstand, and it's filled with people all getting ready for the race, he backs the car up, and then he pops a trunk, and I, of course, I get out, and I'm like, climbing. the whole place just erupts, they stop clapping and booing, and and there's nowhere to hide. There's like, it's just like the three fire marshals and I'm one of them. It's like, I was so embarrassed. I'm like red like this for the... 
you know, like hanging out with weird, bad people, bad things happen. I mean, you know, like was the race fun? I, I, like, I don't know. I, I just I felt embarrassed the whole race. I mean, my legs were like, like this. Uh, you know, it's like a police are going to come and haul me out. I, I mean, it, so hang out with good people. Make right decisions. You know, experience God's love in, 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 a, in a positive way. Look, here's what I want you to get out of this message. Uh, this is sort of surprising, but you'll, it'll resonate. God does not promise us an easy life as a, as a Christian. He does not promise us an easy life. He doesn't even promise us a trouble-free life. He doesn't promise us a pain-free life. He doesn't promise us an illness-free life, nor an accident-free life. And you say, well, that's a downer. But He promises us a rich and rewarding life or in LT, rich and satisfying life. There is something, and you know, those of us that have walked with the Lord for many years will testify that life is going to go through all sorts of twists and turns and unpredictable things and difficulties, but as a believer, you will look back and say, it's been good, and God is good, and God has sustained me and supported me, and God is loving towards me. That's the way you reflect back on it. However, if you have a mindset that as a Christian, as a believer, nothing bad will ever happen to you. You'll never get sick. There'll be no difficulties. No uh, unforeseen circumstances will come your way. You are heading for disaster because the first little bump in the road will just like throw you right off. And you'll be saying, where's God in all this? Where's God's love? Uh, This is not the God that I was pursuing and, and following. And that is just absolutely not biblical faith. So... That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, and let me just uh, pray and, and, and ask the Spirit of God to just empower me and, and be here in, in power. So, Holy Spirit, I, I just invite you to uh, empower my preaching. Uh, help me to connect, uh, Lord, those that are, are struggling or going through difficulties or, or battling to see your love and, uh, and reconcile with, with their current circumstances. Lord, I just pray that you'd fill them with your spirit today. Encourage them, lift them up uh, through my preaching. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So uh, I want to uh, use uh, primarily the story of Abraham in the Old Testament. But here's the verse that I want to uh, start with. This is out of 1 John 4, 8 through 10. And uh, this verse is something which is sort of like, the anchor of our, of our faith. It goes like this. It says, God is love. We, we've got to get the idea that God is love. And it says in verse 9, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So, you know, here's this picture you might be able to see, and, and this, you know, rock climber is dependent on this hook holding him. And no matter if he falls, that thing better hold him. And in a similar way, we got to, like, get it into ourselves, get it into our knowledge, get it into our experience, get it into our understanding that God loves us and that God won't let us fall. Uh, it, it, no matter what else we, 
talk about the anchor has got to be that God is good and He loves us. And now I'll talk about that uh, more next week. Um, but we can talk about God being all-powerful. We can talk about God being all-knowing. We can talk about the fact that God is large and in charge. He can do anything. Uh, and these are uh, what we call the essence of God. I mean, He's morally good. God can't not be loving. He can't not be kind. He can't not be all-powerful. It's the essence. It's who He is. And yet, what I'm saying is we need to reconcile that with some of the struggles that we go through and say, okay, it's not that God has lost His essence of being good and loving. It's we have to understand uh, something about ourselves or other aspects of God to uh, understand it. The best way we can do this is to read about it in the Bible. You know, the Bible is, um, is not a book of like moral imperatives or, you know, let me give you 500 steps for being a perfect person or, you know, making God happy. Uh, it, really, what, uh, one of the ways of reading the Bible is one of the big gifts of the Bible is the very many stories of real people and how they've had to interact with God. And how did God like communicate with them? And how did they communicate with God? And, and how in their mistakes and in their you know, good things that they did, how did it all work out? And so when we get to the book of Genesis, uh, and particularly the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we get tremendous insight into ordinary people living a life of faith with struggles and with like God coming through. Now, if, if you're doing this, the Bible reading plan that we proposed, uh, you know, go through the Bible in a year and, and you're going according to the plan, you'd be in Genesis or just finishing Genesis uh, at this point, and you would be reading about Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. But for today, I'm just going to talk about Abraham. Uh, and, you know, the, if you're reading that Bible or you're reading that section of Genesis for the first time, or if you're reading it for the 21st time, there's a lot there where you just start cringing. You're just like, there's some sexual stuff happening there which is like weird. I mean, it's like really weird. And you think, okay, like in today's day and age, you know, there's some weird stuff that happens sexually and, you know, whatever. And then you read that and you say, man, it's calm today. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not that bad at all. You know, it's like, and then the next obvious question comes, why is this stuff in the good book? I mean, like, this is supposed to be a holy book, and it's got, like, all this, like, like perversion stuff, and, and it kind of makes you feel very queasy and uneasy. Uh, and then, you, you know, if you're new to this, you say, well, isn't this supposed to be, like, the way God wants us to live? You know, isn't this, like, the script? And it's like, you know, how does it shake out? But let me help you out a little bit. Uh, you know, this is one of the, the great things about the Bible. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. It tells it the way it is. I mean, that's what makes it so realistic and, and real. And so uh, when we look at the life of Abraham, everything that we're reading is not what God is saying is great. He's not saying, because it's in the book, you know, I bless this. And, and No, it's like, it's in the book because it's the way it is. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. You know, we, we, we understand it uh, by reading the way it was, and then, okay, God, what was your plan? What's best? And uh, figuring it out that way. 
that's, that's the way we uh, understand God. That's the way God reveals Himself uh, to us. Let me uh, open up by talking about Abraham, as, uh, as you should, by reading in the New Testament. Uh, because in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> uh, Hebrews 11, we get an account of Abraham, which, excuse me, which is like a summary. Uh, and it's kind of like a glowing account. You know, it's all, it's, it's a short summary of how, <clears throat> hey, it must be Super Bowl, Gatorade, pour it on my head, be a winner. Uh, Hebrews 8, 11, 8, chapter 11, verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. So straight away, Abraham has faith in God. When God calls, Abraham goes. Verse 9, And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So the little summary there is, you know, God promised Abraham a whole bunch of things. that You're going to have like many, many kids, and you're going to have a promised land, and this is going to be your land. And Abraham's experience is, I'm a foreigner. I never feel like this is my place. In fact, I didn't live in a big palace with a moat and, uh, you know, whatever not. I lived in a tent. Uh, so Abraham experienced a lot of hardship, but the account of Abraham is one of faith and one of God's faithfulness. And similarly, uh, in verse 11, we see the saga of uh, how Abraham and Sarah had kids or tried to have kids or tried and did have kids. And it says this, It was by faith that Sarah, even Sarah, was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep His promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the, the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, they, there is no way to count them. So in Hebrews, we have a wonderful summary of Abraham, and uh, he's all good, and he's a man of faith, and uh, he's just, you know, good things. And then when we go back into Genesis and we read the story of Abraham, we see, okay, he was a man that was great and full of faith, but you know, there were some other things along the way that most people don't really want to highlight, and so I'm going to highlight them. Uh, they're not such great things. So we pick it up in Genesis 12:10, And in Genesis 12:10, you know, like chapter 12, as you've just read, that's where this whole thing starts with Abraham is just getting going. And like we're not even really like far into Abraham's life. And we like just a quarter or halfway through the chapter, the first chapter of Abraham. And now he's already messing up. And uh, Abraham messes up pretty badly. 
he basically sells his wife out. You know, her safety, her sexuality. I mean, he lies. I'll read the, this great account to you. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to, to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. He was approaching the border of Egypt. Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. I mean, he's not self-centered. I mean, he's not worried about Sarah. It's like, oh, me, how it'll go well with me. And some bizarre reason, Sarah goes along with this cockamamie plan. And uh, verse, verse 14, and sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, the king. And Sarah was taken into the palace. When Pharaoh gave Abram, you know, then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep and goats and cattle and male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. I mean, like, you know, Pharaoh's doing the right thing, the honorable thing. You know, and he's not the guy that's supposed to be the godly guy. It's supposed to be Abram. And, and Abram's just like being, you know, blessed as it would appear, you know, for his deception and dishonesty. And then verse 17 but the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Good question. Why did you say she is my sister? Well, she kind of sort of is. Half sister, half lie. Uh, and look, it doesn't go well for anybody in the end here. You know, like, it doesn't go well for Pharaoh. He's been gypped. Uh, it doesn't go well for Abram. Uh, Abram and Sarah, this is this how it ends uh, in verse uh, 19 at the end there. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram, Abram, Abram out of the, not just the palace, not just the region, like out of the country. Bam! Out! Don't come back. You know, not good, along with his wife and all his possessions. I mean, you know, Pharaoh, like, takes the high road. He could have, like, stripped him of all his possessions. He could have chucked him in jail. But no. Anyway, downside of Abram. Uh, not only that, but Abram repeats the sad saga again with Abimelech. I mean, you think he learned his lesson. Oh, no, does it again. The same, you know, crazy story when we have a live of life of faith, we're all going to have our ups and we're going to have our downs. We're going to have moments where we like do fabulously with the Lord and then we just mess up royally. Now, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham becoming Abraham, I'll just refer to him as Abraham, did a lot of great things. I mean, there were some moves that he made that were awesome. So let's look at some of those good moves that he made. Uh, one of the good moves that he makes is... This faith that God has, that he had in God, that God would provide for him no matter what. And so there comes a sort of major decision in their life with him and Lot. Uh, you know the story, and uh, they're gonna, they've just been blessed so much. They, got, they can't, you know, both have all their cattle and all their donkeys and all their stuff all in the same uh, land. So they decide to split up. 
And instead of doing the human thing, like when you guys go to youth retreat next week and you like dash into the dorms and like, where's the best bunk bed? I'm bags that one, stick your stuff on, you know, or, you know, what we do when we go camping, you know, here's the best site, grab one, bag at one, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, Abram does the exact opposite. He says, well, I don't care a lot. You choose, choose the best land, whatever it is. You, you want that? That's obviously fertile. That's obviously the best land. Go for it. I'll just find something else. Because Abram knew by faith that God would provide for him. He didn't have to like weasel his way and force him into the best spot. God would come through somehow. So he just lets Lot do his thing and Lot chooses the best stuff and ends up being the worst. Uh, but, you know, God comes through. The other thing that Abram uh, does, which is remarkable, is he shows incredible courage. Uh, eventually, he's got to go rescue Lot. And so Abraham like summons us 318 men to go fight a whole army. You know, it's like 318 men against a whole army. And Abram's like, not a competition. God's on my side. We're going to take these guys down. And he does. And he goes and rescues Lot. And again, just incredible faith that God uh, will give him the courage, will, will protect him, will, you know, come through when he's doing his stuff. And then the other side is his finances. You know, he has this mysterious connection with this guy, Melchizedek. And uh, when he encounters Melchizedek, he realizes, okay, this, this guy is like a priest. He's, he's really godly. And Abraham, Abraham just says, okay, I'll give you 10% of whatever I've got. I mean, just like a remarkable, generous, un, you know, he wasn't prompted to do that. He's just like, I, I just got to do that. And the other thing that's interesting to me anyway uh, Abram doesn't say, okay, look, uh, Melchizedek, I'll give you 10%, but it's only if you're going to use it on this plan and on this program, and uh, if you do this and this and this, you know, with 100 conditions. It's just like, no. He has 10% just like, I don't care what you do with it. Just like, I just want to give it to you, you know. Incredible faith, incredible godliness uh, in them. Uh, and then, then again, we see other mistakes by Abraham, especially when it comes to uh, fulfilling God's promise that he's going to have lots of kids and be, you know, populate the whole place. Uh, we pick it up in verse uh, 15, chapter 15, verse 4. The Lord says to Abraham, No, your servant will not be your heir, because Abram's complaining, like, I've got no kids, like, who's going to inherit all my stuff? And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to give it to my servant. When he knew that God had promised him that he's going to have, you know, kids. And so he's complaining, and God reaffirms. He says, look, you don't have to give it to your heir. Uh, you will have a son, uh, and your son will be your heir, you know, your own son, a real son. And then we fast forward the story down to Genesis 16, uh, verse 1 through 3, and it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So, so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Okay, so Abram's like, that's a great idea, Sarah, at last. I mean, like, this is awesome. And you in on this plan. You're good. I mean, this will be great. I, I can't believe that you came up with such a good idea. And so Abram, you know the rest of the story. He, 
Well, I'll read it to you. Perhaps uh, I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Now, let me just fast forward. It didn't go great for Abram with that move. It didn't go great for Sarai with that move. It didn't go great for Hagar with that, uh, Hagar with that, uh, with that, with that move. Uh, it didn't go well for Ishmael, the kid, that, with that move. It didn't go well for anybody with that move. It, it was just a bad move. And, you, you know, you, you, you read that as you start picking up on the, on the service, on, as you read through the, the life of of Abraham and his service to God. You, you, you see like he does things which go well and God blesses him. And then he does other things which are just like, man, how could you mess up so badly, Abram? Here's the thing I want you to get out of the story when you read something like this. It's not like Abram does well, does bad, does well, does bad, and then dies. It's more like this. It's like Abram is trying to figure out what relationship with God is all about. And he gets some like revelation from God and responds to it. And then God is probably silent for long periods in his life and he's doing his own thing. And, and uh, sometimes he, he acts in faith and, and often he gets impatient and he doesn't see what God is doing. And then he does his own thing and it goes badly. But what is happening is an upward progression where Abraham is developing faith. He's growing in faith and he's using his mistakes to learn about God, and to become a better person. He's growing in his ability to trust in God. And it culminates at the end of like the accounts in Genesis. Like the last thing it says about Abraham is the most incredible thing that he does, which is to obey God's challenge, call, command, do it, say it how you want, to sacrifice his son. I mean, it's one of those parts of Scripture, like, it's mind-boggling. You know, like, like, we'll all say, God, bless me. I want to hear more from you. Uh, you know, God, speak to me more. Give me more clarity. But none of us are saying, okay, God, like, let me sacrifice my own son. We're all saying, never ask me that one. I don't know how to respond to that. That's, like, too overwhelming to even get my head around it. I mean, God, never ask me that. I, you can speak to me, but please don't speak to me in that way. You know, I mean, it's like, huh? And yet... We know the story. Uh, Abraham responds, and he doesn't respond like, let me think about it and pray about it for a few months and days, God, or years. You know, Immediately, he responds. And we know that God ends up sparing his son, Isaac. But Abraham has to like go right to the end. I mean, it's a very uncomfortable story to read. He's like, you're... you're you're asking a million why questions. Uh, and yet, we don't see that story when we're reading it, that this is God who's large and in charge and who knows the beginning of time and the end of time. And, you know, we have the luxury now to read that story and say, wait a bit, God was up to something that had like eternal consequences, that, that was a precursor to His Son, Jesus. So uh, we see the similar outplaying of the story with Jesus, where God says, okay, I'm going to have a son. It's going to be my one and only son. Just like Abraham, you had a son. It was your one and only son. And I ask you to sacrifice your son. But I spared your son, Abraham, Isaac. I'm going to spare Isaac. And God says, I am not going to spare my son, my one and only son, Jesus. 
He's going to get sacrificed on the cross for you and for I. You know, we don't know that part of, Abraham wouldn't have known that part of the story. He didn't realize that, you know, God had a much larger plan involved here. So what I am saying is, as we go through life with all its hardships and blessings and ups and, and downs, uh, you don't want to like jettison God every time something bad happens. You want to try and use these experiences in your life to grow and to understand God and to be uh, filled up with faith, not broken down with faith. So if you've got a, a, a bulletin insert and you want to like fill in the three summary points that I want to make in this, it's, a, it's, it's as follows. Life will have perplexing trials. If we can't see God's purpose in them, uh, here are some helpful faith tips for you. Uh, you might just be in one of those times where it's like, I, I just can't see up from down. I, I, I'm begging God to intervene or I'm praying. I just can't hear His voice. Uh, the first point I want to make is this. As a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, don't be surprised just because you are a follower of Christ that something bad is happening to you. Don't be surprised just because you're a believer that something bad is happening to you. In fact, Jesus himself gives us a heads up. He says in John 16, 33, I have told you this so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, if the smallest little bump in the road is going to just totally upset our apple cart uh, and we're totally taken by surprise, uh, that is not realistic faith in Christ. Realistic faith in Christ is that God is good. This life with Him is going to be the best possible life we can have. Uh, but there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Just stick with it. In the long run, in the scheme of things, you'll see that it's good. The second point I want to make is that God will get you through. God will get you through. Uh, this story in the New Testament about Paul and the, and the thorn in Paul's flesh or the, is just really a remarkable, quick, short, powerful story. Uh, and I'll read it to you from 2 Corinthians 12:7. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, Okay, this is the Apostle Paul. He's seen God like save people. He's seen God do miracles through him. He's seen God speak through him, and he's had revelation. I mean, he's seen like every possible thing that a human person can experience and see uh, God do. He's experienced it. He's been there. He's seen it. Uh, incredible. And then he says, To keep me from being proud, becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now notice who the, the thorn came from. It came from a messenger from Satan, and it was specifically designed to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I mean, this is like the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, I hate it. I absolutely hate this thing. And he says, I don't want to have the pain and this thorn in my flesh. I just want to see all the good stuff that God is doing, and I just want to carry on with God and have all... What's up with this, God? Why are you giving me this pain in the flesh? Am I not like your servant? Am I not doing your will? Am I not... Uh, honoring you. And verse 8, three times I begged the Lord, take it away. Take it away. I'm in too much pain. Take it away. And three times the Lord responded, my grace is all you need. Now, 
There's a pastoral word of advice. Never tell somebody else, it's okay, God's grace is all you need. This is one of those things you like to have to have self-discovery on. Uh, but if you're like not that wise and you're going to give somebody this great pastoral advice, don't worry about your toughness. Your God's grace is sufficient. Just like step back so you don't get a black eye, you know, as you're giving your words of wisdom. I know it's scriptural, but just like let them self-discover. God is all you need. God's grace is all you need. Now, what Paul is saying is something we can all relate to. Uh, in our weakness, God becomes strong. And God says, my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. None of us like being weak. None of us like struggling. But we all know that when we are in a bad spot, we tend to pray a lot more. We tend to ask God a lot more. We tend to read our Bible a lot more. We tend to be more like, God, I need your help. And uh, that's just a reality. Uh, and we also realize that in those hard times, when God comes through, our faith gets built up. But none of us likes going through the hard times. That, that's absolutely true. And, you know, it's all very well to say, yeah, God's you know, working through me, through my weakness, and, and isn't that great? But it, no, it's not fun to be in weakness. It's not fun to be in trials. It is fun to see God work through you and, you know, come through. The third point, final point I want to make here is we absolutely have to have an eternal perspective. Just this life just will not make sense if all you're thinking about is this life. There just has to be an eternal perspective for life to make sense. If we get an eternal perspective, uh, life does make sense. You know, it's like the caterpillar that thinks his life is the end of the world when it comes to its end. For the butterfly, it's like, oh, it's just beginning. You know, so if you have a caterpillar experience, like, okay, this is, this is my whole life, and this is all there is, and there's nothing more to it, uh, you miss out on the whole beautiful butterfly part. I mean, it, it, and I'm not preaching like reincarnation. You know, this is not like, okay, you start off with a caterpillar, next life, you're a butterfly. No, no. It's just, it's just like an analogy, just short. Okay, Hebrews 11, back to, back to Hebrews. It, it does, uh, does tell us something here in, in verse 13. It says, all these people, this is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. In other words, Abraham didn't inherit you know, the land and have a big castle and a palace and tents as a foreigner, uncomfortable. But God had promised him that he'd own the land and he'd have it and he'd have descendants. Okay. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. And in a similar way, uh, God has prepared an eternal plan for us. It's not just about this life. Uh, there is a hope that we have that, God, we can have a rich and rewarding life right here, right now. But this is not all there is. There's more to the story. And as vaguely as we understand you, we can experience your love. We can experience your, your, your help. But there's more. There's, it's, it's leading to something in the future which we really long for, where it will be perfect. 
And so I want to just uh, end on that note. One, the worship team, come on up. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that uh, you have promised us this rich and rewarding life. And uh, it is satisfying. And Lord, there is no other life which uh, supersedes it. And Lord, uh, every time we choose to make the right choice, choices which please you, Lord, uh, it has long-term beneficial consequences. And yet, Lord, every time we take a shortcut and we do something which is just good for the moment, Lord, it ends up hindering us. And so we realize that. And Lord, I just pray for your, your spirit to encourage us and to guide us and to help us. I pray for every member here in this congregation that they would experience your Holy Spirit helping and loving and encouraging them. In your name, Jesus. Amen.